Thanks, Amanda. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. You good? You awake? I know. It was rough this morning. I, uh, I think I woke up like an hour earlier than early because I was like, no, I missed it. My phone didn't go off. I had a little like parent, like pre preaching paranoia that I was going to be the guy that showed up at 11 o'clock instead of 10 o'clock or something. It was bad news. Uh, so my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, coronavirus PSA. Okay, we'll do it. We'll get it over with and then we'll move on. Okay. Uh, I did. I, never mind. I'll, I'll just keep it serious. Um, so here's what, here's what the plan is. Use hand sanitizer, wash your hands, and until this gets cleared up a little bit, let's try and be a waving and distance, but still friendly church, okay? So basically, don't grab hands, uh, keep a little bit of distance, uh, be aware of people's boundaries around this thing. Uh, we could still be friendly and deal with this in healthy ways, okay? But here's the other part of it, okay? Jesus is still in control. And just because Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and everybody else wants you to freak the heck out, Jesus is still in control and we can be okay, right? So there we go. We don't need to live like they want us to live. Um, and yeah, the price of hand sanitizer right now, right guys? Uh, <laughs> you can make a killing on that stuff. Who would have thought? <laughs> Two weeks ago, if I wouldn't have known. Uh, <laughs> have a whole new job. Um, well, this morning we are starting a new series that's called Invite Invitations from Jesus. And this morning I want to talk about an invitation that Jesus gives to a guy named Matthew, uh, who is a tax collector, an unlikely guy for Jesus to go and to hang out with. But before we get to that, I want to talk about what Jesus wants for our church. Can I do that for a second? You know, last Saturday, uh, Sarah and I had dinner with the Clingers, with Rod and Dasha's. Everybody know Rod and Dasha. They're right over there. They love it when we point them out like this. It's their favorite thing. Uh, they've been going to our church for forever. They're long timers. They've served in like every single area that's possible, I think. And Dasha's on our board. They do lots of different things. So we're, we're having dinner. We're hanging out. And towards the end of dinner, as usually happens, we start talking about this place. No shocker there, right? So we're talking about our hopes and our dreams and the things that we want for the church and maybe some of the things that we're nervous about and, and just all that stuff mixed in together. And as we're talking about it, and hopefully I quote you correctly here, Dasha. I didn't give her a heads up I was doing this. Um, <laughs> as we're talking, she says, you know what I want for our church? I want us to do something remarkable. And that grabbed me. You know why? Because I want us to do something remarkable too. And I went home and we went to bed. And before we went to bed, that thought just kept running through my head. What does that look like? And I couldn't toss it. Uh, it just stuck with me. I don't just want status quo. I want remarkable. Remarkable isn't just doing good things. It's not just doing things that we do really, really well. Those are good in and of themselves, but that's not what remarkable is. Here's what I think remarkable is in Jesus' terms. Remarkable says that our church won't stop until our communities, our towns, and our neighborhoods are so changed by the love of Jesus that they don't look the same. 
that there's some deep imprint that's happened that's changed everything around us. This isn't about me or Sarah or Rob or the Clingers or anybody being remarkable. It's about Jesus doing remarkable things and changing everything. That's what it's about. And I think Jesus wants our church to be remarkable too. There's a couple of terms that I want to toss out that we don't usually talk about all that often, but they're revival and renewal. And now you might hear people kind of interchange those, and that's totally fine. I don't have an issue with that at all. But revival and renewal are what it looks like when Jesus starts to do remarkable things in a community, when he starts to change it. You know, many of you know that in the 1700s, something remarkable happened in Massachusetts, right? You've read about it in your history books. If you went through, I don't know what grade of history in an American classroom, you probably learned about the Great Awakening. We talk about it in there. But it started here in Massachusetts, 1734, Northampton, uh, Massachusetts. I probably said that town wrong. Sorry, I'm not a Mass native. You can tell right then. Uh, but 80 miles west of here, it happened. In this little congregational church pastored by a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he was desperate for revival to break out in his church, like really, really desperate. And so he was like preaching about it all the time and talking about it all the time and trying everything he could. And you know what happened? Five or six people came to know Jesus over like a year. Not exactly revival, kind of depressing if you're a pastor uh, when that's what happens after a certain amount of time. But one of those people was a woman who he actually wrote about in his journal. Not in a weird way, but this is what he said about her. He said she had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. Now, if you're not sure what uh, 18th century puritanical church speak means when they say company keepers, that means that she slept around a lot. She had sex with a lot of men, and it was a very small town, and everybody knew about it. That's what it meant. And Jonathan Edwards was devastated, true story, when he found out that she came to know Jesus in his church. He thought that she was going to ruin everything. He was like, there's no way respectable people are going to come here now because she's sitting in the front row. Like, I can't even get a good person to walk in the door when she's sitting up here. The beautiful thing is that Jonathan Edwards had no idea how Jesus really wanted to work. And that was pretty obvious, right? He didn't know that Jesus actually loves to work through people like that woman. So here's what happens. She comes to know Jesus. Within six months, 300 people start following Jesus in their town. 300 people, that's like a good number, right? But think about it in terms of their town. 1,100 people in Northampton, Massachusetts at that point. 28% of their, church, of their town came to know Jesus after this woman started following Jesus. If this was Hopkinton, that would mean 4,600 people come to know Jesus by September. Yes, please. Done. Sign me up. That's what we want to see happen, right? If it takes all the company keepers in town coming to know Jesus right here, right now, I will take it. Like, game on. We're done. Like, that's amazing. That's what we want to see, and that's what happened. That was the catalyst that sparked revival that changed the whole area. One of my current favorite thinkers is a pastor from Australia. 
It's not just because of his accent, but that helps. Uh, His name's Mark Sayers, and he defines renewal and revival these ways. Renewal is realignment with God's presence, and revival is renewal gone viral. Realignment with the presence of Jesus gone viral. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable. It's unmistakable. It's changing everything. I like that a lot. But listen to what he says next. He says, we cannot create a program or campaign for renewal and revival. For in the history of church, this is rarely, if ever, had success. Instead, we cry out to God to change us, to start his renewal in our hearts. Remarkable starts here. It starts in you and it starts in me, in our hearts. Revival starts here. Renewal starts here. I want Jesus to renew us. I want Jesus to revive our communities, to go viral in our communities. I want something remarkable to happen in our church. And Jesus wants the same thing. And it has to start in us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How does it start in us? And what does it look like to be a part of this viral message that Jesus wants to spread? Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, I just thank you uh, for, your, for your presence that's already here with us, Lord, and we just ask for more. This whole morning, we're going to keep asking for more, Jesus, because we want that to be what happens. We want your kingdom to come here for you to start to change things. We're not comfortable just settling, but we want you to change things dramatically. We want your goodness, your love to go out beyond this place. And so this morning, Jesus, we just start by saying that we welcome you to come and to do something in our hearts. Whether we've been following you for 40 years or this is the first time we've walked into a church in years. Wherever we're at on that spectrum, God, we want you to come and to do something in our hearts. So we invite you to come and to begin to change us. Show us what it looks like to be people who live out your love in our world. Show us what it looks like to be people who have experienced the reality of who it is that you are. And let it happen here today. We ask for this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever wonder what the purpose of the church is? Or just of us as Christians in general? You know, if you were to do kind of a, a poll where you only took the nice things that people said, um, they'd probably say some of these things. There'd probably be other things, but that's a different conversation. Um, they'd say that the church's purpose is to like keep the culture morally upright according to their standards, right? It's to support people who are going through really difficult situations. It's to help parents to parent well. It's to provide community and friendships for people. It's to help uh, people to understand the Bible. Hopefully then at some point they would also mention that it's about Jesus, right? That it's pointing people to Jesus. And 
And Christians, our purpose, they might say that it's about like knowing Jesus, that it's about living good lives that aren't filled with sin, that it's about living lives that are based around commandments and teachings that we find in the Bible. And hopefully, again, they would say that there's something in there about loving other people really well. At least the, some of those are the things we would want them to say. And that's not bad. I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there. But when I think about what the purpose is that Jesus has for us, I think that it might be a little bit more exact than that. I think he might actually give us a little bit more and that some of those things are good things. They're good offshoots, but they're not actually the focus. And so I want to drill into this. And the beautiful thing, as is always the case, is that the Bible gives us examples of where we can figure this out. Jesus shows us what it looks like to do this. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open up to that. It'll be on the screen. You can open it up in your phone if you want. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. We're going to stick here this morning, so you don't even have to turn it to a different place. Let's see what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. You know, there are a few things that I think make up the purpose, the mission of us as Christians, of us as a church. And the first thing is what we just read. We need to become followers of Jesus. And this is the most uh, obvious one. And it's kind of the easiest one in some ways. What's a follower of Jesus? It's just somebody who spends time with Jesus, right? It's somebody who literally follows Jesus. Jesus. You know, that's what Matthew did. Matthew was just sitting there doing his tax collector thing. It's April. He's collecting the taxes from all the people. And then Jesus comes along and he says, get up and follow me. And Matthew looks at his H&R block booth and he's like, okay, cool. And he gets up and he starts following Jesus. He leaves everything and he begins to follow Jesus. He goes where Jesus goes. He simply just got up and walks. That's all it was. There's a Jewish blessing. I love Jewish blessings because they always sound like something that Yoda would say. Um, but there's a Jewish blessing from around this time that says this, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. It's like super deep and like powerful, right? You know. And if you switched a couple of words, it would sound exactly like Yoda and we'd love it. Uh, but it was actually kind of like a basic practical thing if you think about it because the Jewish people live in a very dusty area, and back in the day, they wore these tunic things that had a lot of airflow and not a lot of coverage, and they had sandals, and so at the end of the day, you were very dusty by the time that you went home for the night, right? So if you're covered in the dust of your rabbi, you know what that means? You were all up in the dude's grill. You were all up in his space. There's nowhere else for the dust to be blown than all over you. It means that you're following him so closely that there's no three-foot radius around. You're paying attention to everything that they're saying. You're listening. You're observing. You're watching. You're picking up their patterns and, and how they talk and, and what they say and how they have conversations with people and the actions, the way that they act towards other people. It's all sinking in for you. It means that you're spending a lot of time around them, right? Sarah and I try and do uh, time each week with our girls looking at the Bible. And this week we talked about John 15, which is where Jesus talks about uh, uh, him being the vine and we're the branches. We're kind of the offshoots coming off of him. 
And so we're sitting there and we're trying to explain this in six-year-old language. And the six-year-old's looking at us like, I'm a plant? Like, really? And I die if I'm too far away? Like, there was just no way that this was fully sinking in. But this is basically, this idea is what Jesus was getting at here. The closer that you are to the main source, the better that you're going to be, the more life that you're going to have. The farther that you get from the main source, the less dust you're going to get all over you, but also the less nutrients you're going to get, the less connection that you're going to have to the one who gives you life. If you're connected, you're in a good spot. If you're distant, you're not really following, right? You're not connected in. A follower of Jesus is somebody who's with Jesus and somebody who is in the process of becoming like Jesus because that's what happens when you're around Jesus all the time. You start to mimic him. You do the things that he does and you live like he lives. Be so close that you're covered in the dust of Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 10 with me. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Um, The woman in Jonathan Edwards' church would probably fit in at this party. Uh, Have you ever noticed that people who first follow Jesus do this really, really annoying thing? They tell everybody about him. Like, I mean like everybody. It's so over the top, right? They're, they're, at, the gro- they're at Price Chopper, and the, the guy's stocking the cereal aisle, and they're like, have you ever met Jesus? And then they're at Dunkin' Donuts, and the person's just trying to give them a coffee, and they're like, do you know what you need? You need to meet Jesus. And then they're, they're pumping gas at Cumbie, and they're yelling over to the person who's next to them. And they're like, have you met Jesus? Like, they tell every single person that's around them. And it's really annoying, really embarrassing for those of us who have gone to church for a long time, right? But you know what it is that they, they realize? is that Jesus changes everything. There's something about it that's so contagious that they just want to share it. They realize that they were smoking a week ago and now they're not for some weird reason. They realize that they used to think really terrible thoughts about their coworkers and all of a sudden now they think nice things about those same people and it's just kind of mind-blowing. All of a sudden they're not looking at porn anymore. Like their lifestyle, their habits, their addictions, things have changed. They realize that they told their family members about Jesus and you know what? They came to know Jesus too. And now they actually like being around each other. And once you start to realize all of those things and you see it, you want to tell other people because they need this too. There's something that they need in it. It's not just an option. That's what happens when people first start to know Jesus. And you know what that's called? Making disciples. Now, some of you are saying that's an oversimplification Hear me out on this. Matthew, the the thrower of parties, the tax collector, he actually wrote the book that we're reading right now. And at the end of it, when Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven, he writes this last sermon of Jesus that we've titled The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. Listen to what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them... Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Make disciples. Show them who Jesus is. Teach them about what Jesus wants to teach them. That's what Matthew was doing immediately. 
He's throwing a party, yes. But Matthew followed Jesus. He saw his life change. You know what he did? He went home, he washed some of the dust off, and then he started cooking a meal. And he sent out an Evite, and he invited all of his awkward friends to come over to his house. And then he invited Jesus to come too. He knew that all of his friends needed to meet Jesus. It wasn't an option for them. They had to meet Jesus. They had to be changed by who Jesus is. If you don't know Jesus, you're not in contact with Jesus. You can't show people who Jesus is. But once you've met him, you want to share him with everybody. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You lead people to do what you've already experienced. Here's two stories from our church. Again, I didn't ask their permission, so sorry. Um, Pastor, uh, you know, Pastor fail on this. I think they'll be okay. Uh, the, fir- the first story I want to tell is about another one of our board members, Sarah Billings, who is a master at telling everybody about Jesus because she loves Jesus and she knows how much Jesus has changed her life. And so I get to lead a group with Sarah, and it's at her house, and she loves inviting people to come to it, because we're doing Alpha, and it's really good, and Alpha's about why we believe what we believe, and so she was like, can we invite other people? And I said, of course you can invite other people, right? And so she invited friends and neighbors, and one of them came, Woohoo! and one of her neighbors came, and you know what? He's been coming every week. And that Jesus is doing something in his life. I'm not telling any secrets to say that. He tells us that every single week. Jesus is changing him. And you know why? Because Sarah knew that Jesus changes us. And she wanted to share it with other people. There's another story that I heard about somebody in our church who had a co-worker come in to their office. And they were just opening up about what was going on in their life. And as the conversation is going on, this person looked at him and said, You know what, what you need? You do know what you need, right? You need Jesus in this situation. How about if you come to church with me? And the person did. This is what it looks like. You lead people to what it is that you know, what it is that you've experienced. You invite your friends, your family, and your coworkers to meet Jesus because they've experienced something that's changed them. We're just simply acknowledging that Jesus changes lives. We're not saying anything about us. We're just saying something about Jesus. Continuing with Matthew's story, listen to what comes next. Verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? How about that? Please don't say that about any people that come to this church Uh, or in our community or ever. Uh, But when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Here's the third thing. We need to, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're making disciples, we also need to love people so well that it's really weird. Because it's going to catch their attention, guaranteed. It's going to be a little over the top. People were straight up offended by Matthew inviting Jesus to hang out with his friends. There wasn't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was offensive to them. They thought Jesus was sinning by being in the same room as these people. They didn't think that these people deserved Jesus' attention. But good news. 
they were completely and totally wrong. Those people did deserve Jesus' attention. And if we're following Jesus so closely that we're covered in his dust, the people that we're inviting to meet Jesus are going to offend some people. And that's good news. That means that we're doing the right thing. I want us to watch a video about a man named Graham who no one, was, no one thought was worth meeting Jesus. And then Jesus met him. Watch this. I thought by 1995 I was a tramp. And I didn't realize this then. The inside of my body was shutting down. So all I did was drink, take drugs, didn't eat. I didn't realize I was getting septicemia. I had malnutrition and dehydration. In March of 1996, some people turned up on the street and they said to me, do you know Jesus loves you? And I chased them. Jesus, man, Nana sang about Jesus when I was a kid. There was no such thing a week after they came back. And I seen these Christian men and women on the street for the next six months. One morning I woke up, it was just a normal day. And I got my drink and my drugs and I collapsed. I was rushed to hospital. I was in a coma for six days. My mother was asked to come to the hospital. She went to the hospital. I was dead. I'd had my last rites on the sixth day. Consultant said to my mum, there's now what I can do. So she said, can I have a few more hours to think about it? So my mum went out of the room and there was a lot of people there come to say goodbye to me. And then Tony, my mate, said to my mum, there's some Christian lads here. And my mum went, well, what good is that going to do? How can that help him? He's dead. And they said, well, let us pray for him. So they went and prayed for me, and they put their hands on my head, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, give this man new life. And I woke up, sat up, pulled the mask out my mouth. I was alive, come back to life. But it wasn't just a miraculous waking up in the coma. I woke up totally different. I knew I'd never drink again, I'd take drugs, or smoke. I wanted to help people. I actually thought I'd gone insane, to be honest. And these Christian men said to me, do you know what, Graham, you need to go on an alpha course? So I said, what's one of them? We went on the day away. So on the third talk on the afternoon, and I stood up and I said, Jesus, this is the exact words, I've never forgot it. It was November the 9th, 1996, a quarter to three. I said, Jesus, and I, I've been told you love me, and I kind of believe that you love me. But it's not enough. I need to know something in my heart. And as I said that, and I said, sorry, will you come into my life? I fell back into my chair and I was crying. I, I couldn't stop. At that moment, as them tears flooded out my eyes, I knew where I was from. I knew who I was and I knew what I had to do. So that night at 10 o'clock, I went back to the streets of Middlesbrough, full of Jesus, and I began my ministry. That was 19 years ago, and ever since then, that's what I've done. I've gone, I've told people about Jesus, I've run 141 Alpha courses. There's a couple of things I say to people on the streets or in the prison when I first meet them, because they're full of doubt, you know, I was doubtful, and I say, well, Graham, how do you really know that, you know, you didn't just wake up out of a coma? Now, maybe I did just come out of that coma by coincidence. But I often say, for the last 19 years, why have I lived how I have? You know, where did the violence go? Where did the anger and the rejection and not knowing about love, where did that go in one night? Jesus is supreme love. That's what changed, that's what changed Graham Seed. 
So if it changes from seed, it can do it for anyone. There we go. He just points people to what's happened in his life. I love that. It's like if Jesus can change me, he can change anybody. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Georgia, and he said, we want our cities to be filled with people who are skeptical of what we believe, are envious of how well we treat each other, and are amazed at how well we treat them. The thing that should grab people's attention is how much we love people that we otherwise would have no business loving. That should grab us, because that's different than we're taught to live dramatically different and that's what the early church did if you read acts 2 with me listen to what they did acts 2 44 and all the believers met in one place and they shared everything that they had they sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need they worshiped together each day they met in homes for the lord's supper they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added those who were being saved. Every single day when they were living this way, every single day more people came to know Jesus. And it's because they were doing ridiculous things. They were loving people in super countercultural ways. They sold their stuff so that pe the poor people in their city could eat. If you did that, do you know what your financial advisor would do? Quit. They would walk out because that's ridiculous. You don't sell stuff so that poor people can eat. You give them 20 bucks, right? You know, that's normal. Giving them 100 bucks might be seen as a little bit generous, but selling your rental property so that the poor could eat and giving up your retirement plan, that's ludicrous. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. And yet, that's what these people who, had who were following Jesus were doing. They were going over the top, and because they were going over the top in ways that Jesus was leading them to go, it was so attention-grabbing that other people were coming to follow Jesus because they wanted in. They said, this is ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in a way that shows me something that I need to know. It grabbed a hold of them. And here's where the story of Matthew, I think, leads us. Our communities, our towns, and our neighborhoods are filled with people who need to meet Jesus. And when, we, when people experience the love of Jesus, people like Graham, people like that woman three, almost 300 years ago in Jonathan Edwards Church, and I'll add people like you and people like me, when we experience the love of Jesus, our lives are changed. And our communities desperately need us, you and me, People who are followers of Jesus, who are covered in the dust of Jesus, who are called to make disciples, people who love other people in ridiculous, over-the-top ways, they desperately need us to invite them to meet Jesus. It's not an option. It's essential. It's what we're called to do. Why should we live this way? Well, because Jesus asks us to, right? Jesus tells us as his followers to make disciples, to, to work hard at making our communities better because we love each other and we love them really well. And here's the other part of it. If we stop doing this, 
The moment that we turn inwards, that we stop loving people who are outside of here, we're done. And I mean that as final as I'm saying it. We are done. We might be trendy. We might be friendly. We might even be a decent size. We might be your favorite church. But if we have stopped loving people who are outside of here, Jesus is leaving. That's the reality. That's what he tells us. He's not here for a social club. He's here because he wants to transform our world. And we're called to play a part in that. There will be no future if we stop loving the people that Jesus loves. We have to go outside. But here's the good news. I don't think our church is going to do that. I think that we are a church filled with people who love Jesus and who want to see Jesus do something remarkable. And so we want to ask him to do something remarkable in us to start where it needs to start. As we come to an end this morning, you know, some of us may have forgotten momentarily what it was like when we first came to know Jesus. A lot of life has happened. And in the meantime, we've forgotten a little bit. It just became old stories of how much things changed back in the day. But right now, the life that we're living is a pattern of Sunday to Sunday with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in between. And be honest, there's nothing that you want to invite people to in that. Who wants to invite people to another pattern or like habit or discipline? You know, like there's nothing exciting in that. There's nothing life-changing or remarkable in that. And others of us may have, maybe you're like me, you grew up in the church, or at least it's always kind of just been there. And at this point, it's honestly, you just don't even feel like you've ever been changed in extraordinary ways, in remarkable ways. Nothing crazy has happened in your life. You don't have any good stories to tell people about how Jesus wants to change you or how he has changed you. It's like going to the gym or or eating a salad. You know, nobody wants a salad without salad dressing, right? You know, like it's just dry lettuce at that point. Nobody wants that. It's good for you, but... Come on, nothing life-changing in eating a salad. I know that you guys agree with me on that. You just don't want to admit it. You want to be like, no, I'm healthy. I, I do good things. But we do it. It's good for us. But we're not really that excited about it, right? There's nothing that we want to invite people. You don't tell people, this salad that I ate yesterday is life-changing. No, nobody does that. That's ridiculous. Like, You're not telling people, this 6 a.m. spin class that I go to, change your life. Nobody does that. It's not life-changing when it's like that. We need more. Don't, set, don't just ask for a little and settle with Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't want you to ask for a little. He doesn't want you to settle there. You know what Jesus wants us to do? Jesus wants to ask for big. He wants us to ask for remarkable. And then he wants us to grab a hold of him and say, I'm not going anywhere until you do it. You've said that you'll do it, and I'm not leaving. This is what I'm staking my claim on, that you're going to do something remarkable, and I'm here for it. I'm not here for the little stuff. I'm here for the big stuff. This morning, the worship team comes back up. I think a lot of us fall into the category 
of we've just done this for a long time. I know I do. I grew up in the church. My parents were pastors. This has been like a regular pattern in my life as long as I can remember, and even longer than I can remember. But I'm tired of letting it stop there. I'm tired of just being okay with a little, and I want more. And so friends, this morning, do you want more? Do you want remarkable in your own life, in the lives of people that you love and that you care about, in the lives of people that live around you, in the lives of people in our communities, in our towns? Do you want more in those places? I hope you do, because Jesus does. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship, but we're going to come back and we're going to dig into this a little bit more and ask Jesus to do more. But as we transition to a time of worship, I just want to invite you with me to ask Jesus to do more and to start in us. So let's pray. Jesus, right now, we just ask for you to start something new in us, Jesus. We do grab a hold of you, and we say we're not going anywhere until you do something remarkable in our lives. We don't want following you to be a pattern of religiousness, of of just habits and going to church and casually reading our Bible and, and maybe throwing up a couple of prayers once or twice a week. We want following you to be a story of, of what it's like to follow in your steps, to live like, like you lived, to be shocking people with how much uh, we're loving people who everybody else would be amazed that we're loving, uh, who everybody else would be shocked by the fact that we're loving. We want following you to be something that truly does transform our community, Jesus. We want 28% of our community to come to know Jesus by September. We want big things like that, Jesus. Not because of us, but because of you. This morning, Jesus, we say that we want to ask for things that you want us to ask for. We don't want to be stopped by our fear, by our worry, by what we feel like may be over the top. We want to keep going towards the things that you have for us in this church and beyond. So we ask for that right now. And I just pray for each and every one of us as we begin to worship that you will start to do something in our hearts this morning. Make us aware of you. Don't let us leave here today without encountering you in this space. In Jesus' name, amen.